Hello, welcome to the Down Back Drop podcast hosted by Connor Evers, the Director of Recruiting for the PGA Golf Manager Program here at Methodist University. This podcast is recorded live from the Mass Communications Department here on campus with special help from Paul Joseph. Each week I sit down with alumni, our PGM staff, and friends and family of the program, as well as current students. We share stories, key information, and best practices of why our PGA Golf Manager program here at Methodist University is the best in the United States of America. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Down Back Drop podcast, episode number 11. This is the first podcast recording of 2021, so super excited to continue giving you guys some content into the new year. Today, we have Tim Christ on the podcast. Tim is a 2000, 2000 graduate of Methodist, as well as our PGA Golf Manager program, and he's originally from Brenham, Texas. Tim, how are you doing today? All good? I'm great, Connor. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, of course. So um, originally from Brenham, Texas. How, how did you get um, from Texas to Methodist for college? So I got one of those uh, little uh, cards in the mail way back when, probably junior year, I guess, sophomore, junior year. Um, just filled it out and sent it back and then started getting the, the correspondence and then, um, you know, got more excited about it. And we actually ended up, ended up being a choice between Texas Tech, which is up in Lubbock and Methodist. Um, both had offered, you know, obviously the opportunity to play golf and, and some scholarship money. Um, and Methodist ended up offering more money. And so for me, um, actually when I was really little, I grew up outside of Lubbock. So that's kind of like, you know, family country, but, uh, for me, it was a choice between go to Lubbock and it's sort of something you know, but it's still fairly close by, or go to you know go to North Carolina. You know, we, and my dad was a pastor and my mom was a teacher growing up, and mm. so we were lower middle class. And so for me, just to get to see the different part of the world for four years and what I consider to be a safe way to do it um, was was pretty well the dividing line. And then we obviously with all the golf that's available over there around Fayetteville, um, it was a it was a pretty easy decision. Great. And, and did someone in your family get you into the game of golf? Was that just you yourself? How did that all work for you, Tim? No, I, I grew up playing sports and I played baseball all the way through seventh grade. My dad always played golf um, kind of on the weekends and stuff. And uh, um, I don't know. I just, you know, one summer I decided I wanted to take up golf. And so I played, you know, all the way through my eighth grade year and then played in, in high school in my first freshman term and I shot 105. <laughs> and uh, by my by my senior year, I was shooting you know mid seventies. So mm. I, I obviously you know we get to play every day in high school, and just you know became really really fun. And I think you know kind of like a lot of us, and you know when we're starting out to go to college, I didn't really know what I wanted to go to college for. So the idea of getting a, a business and a marketing degree um, along with the professional golf management concentration that was that was exciting because that was something that was at least you know dedicated to a passion. And, it, you know, check the boxes for my parents, too, because my dad basically, you know, his one requirement was go get a good liberal arts education because you got to learn how to think. And so sure. obviously um, Methodist did a great job of that. And so, yeah, it just it all kind of came together. And uh, so we we embarked at the, on the adventure that was Methodist. <laughs> cool. So you didn't actually know you want to do PGM and then you reach out to Methodist. It was more or less you kind of heard about it and realized, oh, you know, this is exactly what I want to do. Kind of kind of. I know a lot of people kind of have their own way of doing it, but it was more or less you just kind of figuring, just saw it and kind of figured out that's the way you wanted to do for PGM. Yeah, I just, I, I mean, I didn't, I mean, obviously I knew, you know, from our pro the club that, you know, that that was a job opportunity, but I, sure. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, you know, I can go get a, you know, get a four-year college degree and kind of take this angle with golf. And so, you know, 
if, it, if I wind up in golf, that's really cool and great. Mm -hmm. And that works out perfect, obviously, because that's a great, great road. I said, but if I don't wind up in golf, I've still got this four-year degree uh, with a double major. And that's probably not a bad way to go. And uh, so, yeah, just it seemed like from a risk-reward perspective, it, it, you know, it fit right in that slot. So we just, uh, we just went with it. Great. That's good to hear. Yeah. Especially with having the, the degree in business and concentration PGM is kind of two different routes. So I always like to say plan A and plan B to, to recruits and, and parents as well. So absolutely. Um, so kind of talk more about your, your time at Methodist, you know, what other things you're involved in um, outside of the PGM program as well? Yeah. So, um, I mean, back then, obviously Methodist was still pretty small, but uh, mm -hmm. very, very quickly got involved in the student activities committee. Um, and I was, really involved in that all four years. I think, you know, back then, um, you know, the amount of excitement that we had in Fayetteville was, was, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty slim. And so for us to bring, you know, nice, you know, bands to college and, and you know, some of the movies back then and um, some of the actors and, and whatnot was, that was pretty exciting. So student activities committee was a whole lot of fun. Um, I actually, I also worked off campus. So um, our, I guess our freshman year, we got jobs at Mid Pines Resort over there in Pine Newton, yeah. over there in uh, Piners. And the only downside was we very quickly realized that between the, the drive time and the, and the gas time that we basically were working almost for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, we obviously, and we already got to play free golf over there. So it wasn't like we really needed to do it for that perk. So we, uh, so I ended up um, getting an off campus job at Olive Garden there in Fayetteville and, and nice. waiting table. Um, and then I also got it up. Uh, student uh what's the on, on campus rough job i forget what they call them now um yeah it's kind of um like work work study program work, yeah, yeah. Right, work study that's what yeah so i was able to do work study with student activities committee which worked out great because then i got paid to do what i was enjoying anyway um and then plus i worked off campus so i you know that kept me busy along with obviously pgm playing golf and then you know of course we had some fun too so good 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 to hear that's fantastic. And talk more about your internships as a PJ golf management student. You do a total of 16 months of internships. Talk about where you went and kind of those experiences individually, if you don't mind too. Yeah. So, um, you know, back in 2000, this was, uh, well, 96 to 2000 were the years I was at Methodist. So that was, that was before it was PGA accredited. And so, um, they, uh, I went back home for the first couple of years to Brenham country club. Um, that was sort of the easy route. And, and two, you know, my parents, again, we were, we were lower middle class. So it's not like they had a whole lot of extra money just to fund me to go out and have some phenomenal golf vacations <laughs> over the summer. Sure. Um, but, uh, I did two, two summers at Brenham country club. And then the third summer, um, I actually got a job with the Southern Texas PGA, uh, and I, and I was running their little linksters program, nice. which was just, that, that was just phenomenal. So I, um, Mom and dad helped. It was it was based in Houston, so it was about an hour from Brenham. So they they got they went over and helped me. I kind of I kind of coordinated it via the internet and phone calls and whatnot. But I found a found a room that I could rent from a guy that lived close to, to the office there, and uh, they went over and checked it out. And he, you know, met him and made sure he wasn't like a psycho killer or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> That's fair. And they said, yeah, I think you'll be fine. So we uh, so I, I started living in Houston to, to run those that kids program over the summer and. And for me, that was just so much fun. I mean, those kids, you know, eight to 12 years old back then would, they just get super excited. You know, they'd run up to you. Oh, hey, I got a par, I got a birdie, I got a bogey, whatever. And, you know, it was just so much fun to, to help those little kids. And so we were, you know, we'd get up at four o'clock in the morning, go set up the tournament, run the tournament, and, you know, be, be done by three o'clock or so. And we were running tournaments, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. 
Um, and then we do get a little bit of office time on Mondays and Fridays, kind of get coordinated for the next week. But, uh, but that was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, and then when I graduated Methodist, went to Cola Vista, which is a club that's just outside of Brenham, um, mm-hmm. really nice private club. It's actually now gone through bankruptcy, like a lot of courses have, mm-hmm. um, was there for a bit. And then I got a, a really nice opportunity to get, to go to another private club down in, in uh, the Valley, which is South Texas called Rancho Viejo Golf and Country Club. And went down there and that, that was actually going to be kind of to help kick off my, uh, the, you know, getting my level threes, you know, done and, and going mm-hmm. through that program. And, uh, so they were going to pay for part of that, which obviously is good because you didn't come out in a golf position. You're not making any money. Sure. Uh, yeah. And so was there. And then one of the guys, there, there's another club down the Valley called Cimarron that the, the head pro knew about me from, I was starting to play in some local, like, you know, PGA tournaments, you know, the, the pro pro and, um, some of those and, so the guy at Cimarron knew me from that, from some of my playing. And so he lost one of his assistant pros to a club up in Austin. Mm. And so he called me and I'd only been at Rancho for maybe five or six months. And he said, Hey man, I'd really like for you to move over here to Cimarron. And I just, you know, it seemed like from, you know, kind of the, <clears throat> the area that I was in that, you know, that'd be a, a fun thing to do. So I went ahead and took the opportunity moved over there. And then it was so funny. I just, uh, I probably had been working there like a week. And I met this guy who walked into the shop um, and down in South Texas, you got to understand that it's, you know, 80, 90% Hispanic. So mm-hmm. white guys are in pretty short supply. Um, so he was a, he was a white guy and he was a good golfer. And so, he, he, you know, he met me and he's like, Hey, come play golf. And so I'd been playing with this group. It was called the Maquila group, which is basically a bunch of executives that, that ran the Maquila Doras, uh, which are manufacturing companies down there on the border. So he started playing in our group. And so we get to know each other. And almost as soon as he got to know me, he started trying to recruit me into his company. Mm. And I said, dude, I'm a professional golfer, man. Forget all that business <laughs> stuff. And he just kept after me, kept after me, kept after me. Um, and, you know, he started inviting me out when he, when he take these clients to dinner and stuff. And so I became his sort of his token professional golfer buddy. Right. Um, even though I'm just a kid, you know, I didn't have anything to really you know, talk about. Um, I'd accompany him with all these, you know, when we go hang out with all these guys and he just kind of wore me down over time. And after, you know, eight or nine months of, of that, I finally said, well, and I, I played in a tournament and I played really poorly, unfortunately, but it was a, uh, it was a Hooters event. I got a sponsor's exemption to play in. And when I played really poorly, I said, you know, I said, maybe I've got to figure out something else to do. Maybe mm. professional golf is not going to be the yeah. thing. <laughs> so I, uh, I said yes to him. I jumped into a, into a, into the real business world and just fell in love with it and, and never looked back. Great. That's, that's really cool. Uh, and a lot of our alumni will have that kind of same thing. They they get into the golf industry either on an internship or they work for one to 10 years or maybe even more or less. And they meet uh, someone that owns a business and start working for them. So that, that happens all the time. So that's that's very cool. That's, that's the beauty of the golf industry and just the game of golf as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think when I think about it and look back on, you know, kind of our our alumni group, I mean, probably maybe 20 to 30 percent of them are still in the golf business mm-hmm. in some form or fashion. I mean, some of the guys are working still for like, you know, Footjoy or Kushnet or, or whatnot. But uh, I mean, we've got guys that are selling life insurance now and, you know, um, we've got guys that are realtors and it's just, mm-hmm. it's kind of all over the map. So great. And, and kind of go more into details of, of kind of that position, like you were just talking about um, how kind of life um, ended up after that until currently as well, kind of on uh, more of your, your job positions. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what, um, I mean, obviously with your focus on, you know, talking to, to kids that are thinking about Methodist or, or, mm-hmm. uh, or kids that are in Methodist, I think one of the things that you got to understand is Methodist 
I mean, at least, and maybe it's changed a little bit, but at least for us back then, everybody that was at Methodist from out of state was there for a sport. Mm-hmm. So we'd all gotten recruited to play, you know, some form of, of activity. But, you know, I'm from Texas, which is halfway across the country. My college roommate, Craig Marsh, who's still my best friend to this day, um, which we can talk about a little bit, obviously some you know connections and, and friendships you make that are lifelong, but he was from Wyoming. Mm. And so, and you know, his dad was a golf pro growing up, but he, you know, he grew up like I did lower middle class. And so what you got to understand is for a couple of kids that are 18 years old to move halfway across the country, you know, even though it's a safe environment, which is college, I mean, that's a big, that's a, I mean, that's a huge life changing step. Right. And so I think, Absolutely. you know, and, and what, what you find is, you know, of course we got homesick like everybody else did. And then of course at first semester, you know, some people went back home, but we stuck it out. And I think what you find is if you're willing to stick it out and actually, you know, do the work and just, you know, push yourself through it, doing that by itself, all of a sudden then helps give you confidence that you can do anything else you want to do. And so, you know, we went back home after college, um, after we graduated um, and started working in the golf business like we do, but, you know, still had sort of that, that mentality and that idea that I can do anything in the world I want to do. And so when I got into that company, um, it was just super interesting because it was a forensic engineering company, which is something I didn't even know existed. So um, now you would say that we're like CSI or Sherlock Holmes, but for real. So we would go and we, <clears throat> we would investigate these, these projects where something really bad happened, like a manufacturing plant had a big fire or somebody got hurt, somebody got killed or something else. And so our job was to go figure out what happened. And so sort of the, you know, um, my business brain was excited because I, I figured out the business model behind it, which, you know, Rimkus, or I'm not Rimkus, but Methodist provided a really good foundation for because I ended up getting my, I think, Connor, you've got your MBA too, so you can appreciate this. Um, I got my, my MBA at night after I was working full time. And what I found with my MBA is some of it was almost a repeat of what I'd already learned at Methodist. Mm. So it really felt like, I, I mean, I, it kind of opened my eyes to say, wow, I got a really good business education at Methodist when they're still teaching me the same thing that I already learned, you know, five or six years earlier um, in, in my grad classes. So, so that was really cool. But getting into that first real business job, um, figuring out what we did, figuring out the clients that we served and how to do that um, was just a whole lot of fun. And we were just crazy busy, which is fun too, obviously for, you know, kids that are, you know, that are young and have a lot of energy. And so, you know, I started kind of looking at, okay, well, if this is how, you know, this is how I understand our business to be, what can I do that would help kind of sort of make my mark, right? Or what can I do that would be a little bit different? And, and for me, I decided, you know, we were living in South Texas. And so we're literally right across the border from Mexico. And so my sort of natural question, I guess, came to, well, if we're doing all this work in the States and we have all these accidents and all these issues, well, you know, Mexico's, you know, doesn't have OSHA and they don't have all these other, you know, mm-hmm. regulations that are quite as, as proficient as the States as far as keeping people safe. So wouldn't there be more accidents, more issues in, in Mexico than, than Texas? And so there'd be a higher demand for our services than, sure. you know, even over there. And so I said, well, if there's a higher demand for our services over there, that could be awesome. I could go build a company in Mexico. Um, and that would just take care of all that. We and we, you know, we do really, really well. We all make a lot of money. It'd be a lot of fun. And so I just kind of get that bug stuck in my head. And so I went down to Monterey, which is only about a two and a half hour drive, but it's you know it's into the interior of Mexico. And this is back when I didn't speak Spanish very well. And I just you know started introducing ourselves to kind of the local insurance community down there, which was our, which was what our, who our clients were. And this guy was you know sitting there talking to. He was a local lawyer. 
And he said, so you do forensics, huh? And I said, yes, sir. He said, hold on a minute. He comes back uh, with his file and he starts showing me these pictures of this dead lady. Mm. And he said, so here's the story. He said, this guy divorced his wife, married his secretary, bought a two and a half million dollar life insurance policy on her. Ten days later, she slips, falls and dies in the bathroom. The cause of death by the medical report says it's undetermined, but obviously, you know, we're the insurance carriers. We're on the hook for this two and a half million dollars. Wow. And we're suspicious. And I said, well, yeah, I would be too. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> he said, well, can you help? And I said, you know, I said, we do a lot of bodily injury analysis, like in car crashes and things of that nature. I said, but we just happened to hire a guy who's from Puerto Rico. So he speaks Spanish mm. and he's a biomechanical engineer that teaches at Tulane University. I said, so I think we could probably help out with this. He said, okay, I'm going to give you the project. So from my first ever trip to Monterey, I come back with my first ever project and it's this life insurance case. So me and the Puerto Rican guy, we fly back down to Monterey. We take a bunch of pictures of the condo and measure the bathroom and everything. And we take the autopsy photos and we start matching up all the marks on our body with all the areas of the bathroom. And, mm. <clears throat> you know, just like you see kind of on CSI, I started putting all the pieces together. And what we came to find out and what this, you know, what the Puerto Rican guy said was he said, yeah, he said, without a doubt, this guy beat her to death in the bathroom. Wow. So we fly back down to Monterey. We testify in Mexican court that he killed his wife. The judge, there's no jury in Mexico. Mm. The judge rules in our favor. So the two, the insurance companies don't have to pay the two and a half million dollars. So they're ecstatic. Our clients are over the moon. As soon as the civil case was over, the governor of Nuevo Leon reopened the criminal investigation and the guy took him to jail. Wow. And so this made all the newspapers in Monterey and the insurance community, which come to find out is a very small community. So, you know, we thought, you know, that was all well and good. That was, that was a great case, great result for our client. I went to Mexico City about three months later to go introduce ourselves to the home offices, a lot of these same insurance companies, uh, because the, the home offices are all in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And when I got to Mexico City for that first time, I was already famous and I didn't even know it. I was going to say, they, I knew it. <laughs> they were like, you're that guy. And so it was just like, we were, wow. it was just over the moon. And so that was like June or July when, when I went down there. Fast forward a couple of months and, you know, timing and luck play. I always say when you're working really, really hard, you get lucky more yeah. often than not. But yeah. uh, that's what happened. So October hits and Hurricane Wilma hit Cancun in October 2005. Mm-hmm. And so the same insurance company that headed us on the life insurance case, the, the property claims guy calls me up and says, hey, Tim. What do you know about segregating hurricane damage from pre-existing damage? Because mm. that's a big deal in the insurance world. I said, oh, I know a lot about that. He said, well, come on down to Cancun. So we spent eight months in Cancun wow. doing, doing cat work. And so for me, those two, you know, all those projects we worked on in Cancun, the life insurance case just really opened my eyes to say, there's a huge opportunity down here. And so my mission in life became to go build a Mexican forensic engineering company that could take care of not only Mexico, but Latin America. And so I started to do it with the same company I you know, I had gotten hired with. We had a leadership change in 08, 09, <clears throat> which ultimately the new guys wanted to get out of Latin America, even though it was, by then it was a multi-million dollar business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I basically had to shut the whole thing down. And I said, well, guys, if, if we're not going to do that anymore, that's really, that was my passion, right? That was mm-hmm. what was really fun for me. And uh, I said, I'm going to look around. And <clears throat> so I had a competitor of theirs call me and say, hey, Tim. We want to grow internationally. We want to become better known at forensic engineering. And, and basically, you know, you check all the boxes. We think you could do exactly for us like you did for your other company. And while I was with that other company, I, I, did, I ended up and, you know, some of your, um, some of the students will find this is our little office in McAllen 
because of a, an insurance change in Texas, we went from three of us to 26 of us. We grew like crazy. And then the insurance law changed and we went from 26 of us to three of us. Wow. And so, and we, we had no revenue. So that became my first ever, what they call turnaround, where I had to take an operation that was losing money and make it profitable. Mm. So I was able to do that in about 18 months while I'm doing all this Latin America stuff. And then our office in San Antonio was losing money too. And so the, the guy that ran off the San Antonio operation said, hey, Tim, would you move to San Antonio and do the same thing for San Antonio like you did for McAllen? We'd turn it around and make it profitable again. I said, okay, sure. So I moved up there and I turned that office around as well. So <clears throat> it done some really nice things for that company, but you know, I felt like, you know, probably my my road had further to go than where they wanted to go. And so sure. the competitor calls me and I talked to him and I said, So basically what you're telling me is, you know, I can go do exactly what I want to do and it's almost a blank check. And he said, Well, yeah, pretty much. I said, I mean, that's Nirvana, right? So right. I went and hired a couple of my guys from the old firm. We went down to Mexico City and we built a company again. We got all of our clients back. It became a multi-million dollar operation again. While we're doing that, they said, hey, Tim, we really need a new operation up in Vancouver, Canada, which you know is near, near Whistler and there's some beautiful golf courses up there. So that worked out really, really well. But so we went and built a, a really nice Vancouver operation. And then I became part of the senior management team with that second company. And so we were global, um, but our head office was in Chicago. So I started flying around the country a lot. Mm -hmm. um, Kind of building out these different areas. So I built us a cyber practice. I built us an energy practice. And then because we were doing the Mexico thing in, in insurance, the home of insurance is London. And so I started going to London twice a year for, um, for meetings over there. I was in Miami all the time. I was in New York all the time. Uh, I was traveling to like Norway and other places for some really cool energy conferences. Mm. So I just became this, you know, this globe tra global traveler for a while, which was just a blast because I mean, you get, you get to see so many different places. And especially for a kid that grew up on a farm, um, you know, I, I mean, I'd never been outside the country when I was a kid. So this was, that was really my first opportunity to just go see, see more of the world. Um, but yeah, it just, you know, it, it, it started to take me kind of wherever I wanted to go. I got to go do the thing in Mexico that I really wanted to do. And then our company, our second company, we were so successful that we actually got acquired by private equity in late 2014. Nice. That's, that's fantastic. I think that's really cool. I mean, within, was it four or five years of you graduating Methodist? You were in Monterey doing that. Was that is that correct? Did I read that? Did I hear that correct? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, about three years in. Wow, that's fantastic. Good for you. That's that is a really cool and unique story. Um, I don't even know where to go from there. That's really cool. <laughs> that's cool. But I, I guess my one of my final questions that I always yeah, but but no. one of the final questions I usually ask is um, you know something that you learned at Methodist that you still use today, and I think what you just said could possibly answer that question but anything you you learn at methodist that you still use to today or or when you're um you know in that position or still am yeah i mean i think um i think probably at least for me number you know and it kind of goes back to what we talked about i think as far as for reasons to go to method i think i met reasons to go to methodist i think number one number one is the experience right it mm -hmm. it's something that i mean unless you live in you know um sanford or something if you're out of state it's going to take you out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And so what you, what you rapidly figure out is it's only when you get outside your comfort zone that you really start to grow both as a person as a, and as a professional. And sure. so the experience without a doubt, as long as you can make yourself do it, even though it's going to be really uncomfortable mm -hmm. at times, the experience will pay for itself in spades in the long term. So I think without a doubt, experience is number one. Um, I think number two, the education was obviously first rate. Cause like I said, when I was in grad school and I'm, 
relearning the stuff that I already knew at Methodist mm-hmm. um, just solidified for me that it was really, really valuable. Um, and then I think, you know, the, you know, just the connections that you make and, and the friendships you make, like I said, I mean, Craig and I still talk I mean, almost weekly, nice. um, even though, you know, even though he's in, well, now he's in South Dakota as the women's golf coach for Black Hill State. Yep. Um, and, and I'm down here in San Antonio, but, you know, we've, we've made time to get together. I mean, we've, we've had, you know, I've had conferences in Vegas where he's met me and we've played some golf on the front or back end of the conference. We've gone to Tampa and played golf before. Um, and like I said, we were planning to come to Methodist for the 2020, um, uh, our 20 year anniversary or 20 year reunion, but that got canceled with COVID. So we'll have to mm-hmm. figure out maybe 2025. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just, you know, it's, it is a little bit different because I think, you know, if you, if you're from an area and you go to college in that area and then you stay there and work, obviously, you know, then you have those friendships and those really cool relationships that just blossom forever. I mean, and then, you know, obviously now as we all get older, you know, your kids all then play on the same baseball team and football team. And so you, you then literally grow up with this whole group of folks and Methodist doesn't really work out that way just because, you know, 90% of the people that go to Methodist are there from somewhere else and they all end up almost all, all of them end up going somewhere else um, when they graduate. But, you know, like Matt Dyrett, um, and he's in Virginia now, his wife had a conference here in San Antonio a few years ago. And so he got a hold of me and we played around the golf while he was here hanging out while his wife was here. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that kind of stuff, you know, goes on and that's, it's fun to get to reconnect and see those folks. But yeah, without a doubt, I think the, the experience and the education pieces without a doubt, you know, have helped pave the way for what, you know, what I've been able to do with, with my career. Very cool. And I also saw on your email and, and your resume too, that you're a two-time author. Uh, talk about those those books and and what each one is is all about. Yeah, so um, I, I well, I'm definitely not an English major, and, and <laughs> definitely consider myself to be um, necessarily much of a writer either. But uh, um, what I do feel like I'm gotten really really good at over time is helping people develop their skill set into something great. So what mm. you figure out in business is, you know, in I can go get a bunch of projects. I can go do a bunch of projects, but but my major limitation is the fact that it's me doing all of those. The only way that I really build a business, the only way that I really build a company, is to help other people develop their skill sets and their talents to get really really good at doing those other things. And so the most fun thing for me, and it's and now being a dad um, of a seven year old that's a phenomenal athlete, which we've been working on for seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you start to see the, the results and, and appreciate the fruits of that labor. So you start, what you have to figure out is you got to invest and invest and invest and invest in people. And other people have the same challenge as you do, right? So just like I had my comfort zone, other people have their comfort zone. So when I was first going to Mexico, I was the only one that was willing to go. Nobody else wanted to go with me because it's scary. It's dangerous. I mean, there's all these reasons why people came, came up with excuses not to go down there with me. Um, so I had to find a couple of guys that were passionate about Latin America that were willing to go down there and, and live that dream with me. And I did. And one of the guys passed away from cancer in 2017. Mm. And so I wanted to do something to honor his memory. And so, you know, when you think about leaving a legacy, <clears throat> I think probably one of the greatest legacies we can leave is something that helps other people further down the road. So mm-hmm. the first book was was written to honor his memory and to really help pave the way for Here's what we learned in 12 or 13 years of forensic engineering, where if somebody reads the book, hopefully it just gets them to a a higher level more quickly than we got there. You know, I mean, for me, it was, you know, joining that company in, you know, 2001. And then by, 
you know, 2011, 2012 was the CEO, right? So 12 years out of college, but, you know, I'm sure other people can do it better, faster. Um, <laughs> but so the first book honored his memory. And then really when, you know, when COVID hit in March, it was like, okay, we're all shut down, but there's still some things we can do. So for me, it was just, let's, you know, I had some thoughts, you know, that I had in the back of my head that said, let's get them on paper. And writing a book is just like anything else. You know, the first time you do it, it's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second time you do it, it gets easier and it gets easier and gets easier. So Absolutely. the second one came together a whole lot quicker um, and got that one out there. And actually, I was a bit more thoughtful on the strategy piece of it. So that one actually achieved number one new release on Amazon. Oh, wow. um, Congratulations. Got, thank you. Yeah, no, got some, got some, got some national press. So a couple of, national associations picked up and wrote articles about it. And so it's, it's sold a decent amount of copies um, across the country. So that was really cool. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, again, for me, the, the idea with the books is simply to, to leave a legacy to hopefully provide some education and information for those folks behind us um, and just, you know, help them further advance their careers. Great. And what are the names of those so people can find them? So they're both on Amazon. The first book is called Becoming a World-Class Expert, The Business of Forensic Engineering. And the second book is called Outgrowing QuickBooks, Engineering Real Profit in Companies 10 to 15 Minutes. Great. Okay. That's fantastic. Well, Tim, I really appreciate your time coming on the, the Down Back Drop. I uh, hope you had a, a great uh, holiday and um, gonna appreciate you taking the time and, and for alumni and current students to learn more about you. Yeah, no, Connor, again, thank you for the invite and uh, loved hearing you know, some of the prior uh, episodes with you know Coach Connolly and uh, uh, Mr. Hogg. It's, I think it's awesome what you're doing and, uh, you know, Methodist has had an indelible mark, obviously, on, on my life and Craig's life and, uh, you know, hope that it, the same experience and education can be uh, passed on to those kids in the future. Well, I appreciate your feedback as well. Uh, Tim, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Again, this was episode number 11 of the Down Back Drop. Happy Friday and have a great weekend.